You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Ahmed here. Welcome back to the show. Interesting conversation for you today with Kate Ladon. Kate's interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, she used to be a model. That's how she got started. So not every day that we host the model here on Forecast. That's always exciting. But also because of the series of events in Kate's career that led her into branding, marketing, positioning, and the fantastic work that she's doing now. Kate tells us that story of how she got into the work she's doing today, but then also shares with us some really practical, valuable insights on branding, marketing, and positioning for consultants especially as applied to LinkedIn. And I think you're going to find her insights on getting traction on the platform very, very practical and valuable. So lots to learn here from Kate Ladon. Before I let you get into this interview, if you haven't checked out my free training on the difference between rich consultants and poor consultants, you're going to want to check that out. It's about a 30-minute some odd, well, just under 30-minute training video where I spell out what makes the difference between a rich consultant and a poor consultant. A rich consultant being somebody who earns higher fees, has a bigger impact on their clients, and has more control over their business. And a poor consultant being somebody who earns lower fees, has less of an impact on their clients, and is not in a position of control. Their business is happening to them. They're not in control of their business. And I found after coaching hundreds of consultants that there's really three things that make the difference. And I spell it out for you on this free training, which you can get at forecast.fm slash rich. That's forecast.fm slash rich. With that said, here is my conversation with the one and only Kate Ladon. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Why don't you get us started by telling us the Kate Ladon backstory? Oh, goodness. Um, I will I will give you the Cliff Notes version as much as I can, because I'm sure, as with everybody, this could go on forever since I was age three. But um, the very short Cliff Notes part of this is I've been interested in marketing and positioning since I was in college, always was super, super entrepreneurial. Um, I paid for a lot of my schooling, so I immediately looked for opportunities to make income, whether that was pairing companies with frats and sororities, pairing bars with frats and sororities, and creating um, really opportunities for businesses to find their target market and link up. In addition to that, I was modeling in New York, um, which I learned a lot about positioning yourself and personal branding, which I won't go into right now, um, and then took all of that, was with every intention, went into college to become a lawyer, actually, and become a talent agent and uh, market models, because I saw very successful agents doing that. And in the midst of studying for my LSATs, I took a sales and marketing course and thought, you know what, this is the skill I really need, regardless of any industry. It's all about positioning. It's all about selling. It's all about building relationships. So I did not sit for the LSATs, which was great because I graduated in the middle of the economic um, decline and collapse of 2008, 2009, that, that era. And um, I got a job working for a subprime lender because of the recent economic turmoil and all of the laws that went into place, like Dodd-Frank, fortunately, after that happened. Um, it was just a hotbed for mergers and acquisitions as smaller shops just could not keep up with the level of regulation and compliance that that 
industry now warranted. So, and I went into subprime lending, had no idea about any of it. It was a great, great learning tool for what not to do with finances. Um, I stayed there and grew the company uh, over the course of five years. It went from six states to 16 states, and it was really like sink or swim marketing. And um, I was in a very fortunate position where my leadership team there really believed in me and put me in a position of management. Very young age. I mean, I started there when I was 22. I left when I was like 26, 27. So um, it was a whirlwind of marketing experience. And in the midst of all of that, I started working with smaller local companies who I saw um, doing really, really big things. And I just thought, man, if they had the right positioning and marketing, they could really blow up as this large company that I've been working for now has too. So I started moonlighting, side hustling, if you will, with those clients. Um, and it all kind of came to a head when the company I was working for offered me an equity stake in the company. And I thought, wow, I really have to make a decision. I'm going to lean into this, this entrepreneurial thing, or I'm going to stay here and I'm going to grow with this company and hopefully cash out if we go public, which, you know, was obviously the end game for uh, leadership. So I went home, I read the book, The Alchemist, I shut the cover and I said, you know what, I'm doing this damn thing. I'm like 26. I don't have any commitments. If I go for broke, it's really not going to be a problem. My parents, who were more or less blue collar workers my entire life, told me I was batshit, like out of my mind crazy to uh, do that. And I've been at it for uh, close to four years now, and there's not a day that I have regretted doing it. And I love, love, love what I get to do. Um, branding, positioning, marketing, it, it's just such a, such a gift to be able to lean into something that you really enjoy and do it every day. Um, so that's, that's me. That's my story. It's interesting how sometimes family just they they don't really get it, eh? Like I I have a similar story in that my family is full of academics. My dad's got mm -hmm. I think two page PhDs. Last time I checked, my mom's got a master's. My sister's got a master's. My my other sister's got a PhD as well. And then I'm like this business owner, and nobody really quite gets what I do, and they all think it's kind of ridiculous. You know, it's so funny you say that because I always tell people um, I'm borrowing this term from actually a copywriter because she told it to me when we met that I'm the blonde sheep of my family. My immediate family is like all law enforcement. Like it's, it's, a, it's a wonder that I'm not just incognito doing like CID work somewhere, um, given like even my aunts were like undercover how to catch a predator cops. <laughs> and so it's crazy that I'm, I'm not in that, considering that everybody in my immediate family is. But it's funny because I've met my cousin, who was a very successful uh, serial entrepreneur much later in life, it was a distant cousin. And then I realized, oh, there's this whole other line of Ladans who are a bit more entrepreneurial in nature. And not to say that one is uh, better than the other. It was just like this whole new world for me because I grew up with such a, the end game is get the job, get the stability, get the pension, get the 401k and like stay with the company because that is success. And to my parents' credit, both of them retired um, and were able to in their young 50s byproducts of working through government and having those those types of uh, situations. And I have to say, you know, that is not actually a reality for many other millennials these days. So in many ways, I acknowledge them like, hey, being able to retire when you're 50 and having multiple streams of income, like, I don't think that was the case for many people. And I acknowledge my parents for doing that. And I always felt like an outcast because that was not what I saw for myself. Well, let's be honest. I mean, from from one millennial to another, 
the whole idea of a pension is amazing. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like, like what, I can't even, what is that? I can't even conceive of it. <laughs> seriously. I mean, my, my dad, I mean, like your, your family, my dad's a civil servant. He's been in the government uh, as a research scientist for going on 50 years, which is crazy. Mm-hmm, he doesn't, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to retire. Right. But, but when he does, it's like money for life, nothing to worry about. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And, and like Mazel Tov, salutes to them for doing that. Um, that was not not what I saw for myself. And unfortunately, again, for many people our age, I just don't think a reality. I was talking to my one of my friends who works for the International Monetary Fund. She was like, hey, like, I'm pretty much like set. I'm like, good for you. You know what? Not many other 33-year-olds can actually say that. And I think that it's fantastic that you have that option. It's not what I saw for me, but good on you. And I think really admirable that that is an option for somebody our age. Yeah, I'm still a bit bitter about it, but I mean, I guess the, the path <laughs> I chose is the path I chose. Can't go back on that now. No, no. Listen, one thing I've learned, Kate, from from doing a number of interviews is that whenever somebody says, we're not going to go there, that's usually where I decide to go. So oh, you, okay. you, said, you said something about the lessons you learned about marketing and positioning from your stint in modeling. Tell me yeah. more about that. Oh, God, modeling. Um, I, you know, modeling was like one of the best and worst things I had ever done for my confidence. Uh, first and foremost, and this is probably where you're hearing the not to go there. When I was 15, I um, got Bell's palsy, which is a nerve d- disease. Uh, it impacts the sevens nerve in your face. And essentially what that meant was I was paralyzed on one side of my face um, for a little while. And when you're 15, that's like the last time you ever want to be having something that makes you stand out (laughs) and makes you feel, um, in my opinion, like not attractive. Right. And, uh, it was, it was terrible going to school and people would always, Oh, that's the girl that had the stroke and like, look at her face. Anyways. Um, fortunately it regenerated quite well. And I think it was like modeling was equal parts, a financial thing. And, uh, I want, I need to prove to myself that I can do this. Um, And in that way, it was a boost of confidence because it was kind of like, look at me, like I'm doing it. Even after this traumatic thing happened, this formative experience when I was younger that made me feel like an outcast, here I am in this very superficial industry succeeding. But on the other hand, of course, going in with the girl in my mind, like the girl with the previously broken face and you're getting picked apart as a product, um, it could have been, it, it was quite uncomfortable at the times, but Ultimately, as you grow up, and I was in my young 20s when I was doing this, you realize that it's not you and whether you're attractive or quote unquote not attractive, whatever subjectivity there is around that, that gets you a job. They're looking at you like a product. And in many cases, an advertiser wants a very specific look. So it wasn't that you were less attractive than the person who got the job. It was that they fit the demo that the company was going after and certain models definitely had like a certain look and they thrived well with these companies and they didn't thrive well with these other types of jobs and companies. And so in that way I learned like, it really is all about positioning. Like what look do you want to adopt? And in that way you can be confident that that's your niche, that's your look. And when you don't get those jobs, it feels way less personal because you can just look at it as, oh, not a right fit. And I would say that's where I really got a tougher skin and an appreciation for positioning and modeling that when you're younger, say in your teens, when most uh, girls and boys enter modeling, I don't think you have the foresight to really see, oh, they're just not choosing me because I don't, I don't have this look that they're going for. Um, So it was pretty formative to my, my marketing worldview as well. 
And then on top of that, to add to the entrepreneurial view, I was sitting there dieting, watching my weight, not being able to dye my hair, cut my hair, or even tweeze my eyebrows without so much as an approval from my agent. And I was going out schlepping all over New York for these jobs. And my agents were making like 20% cuts on it. And I sat there and I thought, wow, I'm really on the wrong side of this business. Um, I need to be where they are. So for me, it was it was really uh, formative in both of those ways, both the positioning and being way less offended when it's just not a good fit. And then the other side, the business mind behind the industry. Yeah, I guess it's better to be the dealer than to be the product, isn't it? Yes. Uh, you have a lot more freedom when you're the dealer in the sense of you're not um, so obsessively worrying about every aspect of your look. And the industry is better, sure, than it was as we become uh, more if that we recognize that people want to see all different types of body shapes and um, sizes and are a lot more willing uh, to have that conversation. But by and large, on the other side of that, there's also a scalability to being a dealer, right? Like there's only so many jobs that you can partake in at once as a model. And ultimately, just like anything else, just like professional service providers, you're capped at trading time for money based on your availability. When you're a dealer and you have hundreds of products, models, then you make money at scale. And one of my favorite quotes ever is, you know, I'd rather make 1% off of 100 people's efforts than 100% 100% off one person's effort. And that's, that's the role of the dealer. Yeah, I think this this idea of it being about fit and not whether you're the best looking or the most talented or the, uh, the, the dominant expert. I mean, that's really the be all and end all marketing lesson. I had a call about a week ago with a prospect uh, who was interested in my coaching program. And he was very forthright with me and said, look, I'm looking at your program. And I'm also looking at this other person's program who's, who's a competitor of mine, but you know, a friendly competitor in a good way. Sure. And, um, and I said, Hey, that's fine. No, I, I know so-and-so, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, I, you know, I've only heard good things about his program. I, I've never taken it myself. And we got the talking and whatnot. One of the questions I asked him was, hey, look, what do you want to get out of this? Like at the end of the day, what do you want to achieve here? And what he said to me was verbatim, my competitor's tagline. <laughs> wow. And I was like, I think you need to go that way, right? And it's okay. Fantastic. It's about fit. It's not about whether or not I'm smarter or he's smarter. That's irrelevant it's about who's right for you right now. And it doesn't need to be me. You know, and there's such power in saying that because I've realized one thing in business. Every time I convince myself a client is a good fit or try to convince them when intuitively I know that they're not, it always comes back to bite me in one way or another. And I really think that that is the ultimate place to get to in business and the mindset, even in the scarce times where it's like, okay, cash flow is really important, but cash flow from the right fit clients is really important because at the end of the day, those are the people who are going to, going to acknowledge your value. They are going to be your advocates. They are going to be your fans and your trumpets. Um, and when you have to overlook potential red flags, even if the red flag is, oh, he's verbatim saying my competitor's tagline, it really sounds like that may be a better fit. You can convince yourself, okay, I'll, I'll, but I'll still convince him and take this on. But in my experience, always comes back to having regrets on that. So you're absolutely right. And then you can get super unoffended and you can have freedom and be more at ease and play and just realizing it's not about me. It's not, um, whether my worth is there or not, it's just about fit. And that's when you can really step back from taking things personal. 
Yeah, and that's where an abundance mindset becomes critical because once you realize that there's plenty of people out there who need help, it's not just this one person that I'm talking to right now. If I lose them or they move on or they find somebody else, there's another one coming right up behind them, and that's okay. 1,000%. I mean, goodness, I've lost count, and I, I feel ignorant if this number is off, but just like something like 8 billion people in the world. I mean, there are so – there's limitless, limitless opportunities for you to work with truly what is a right fit for your business. And um, I love that you say an abundance mindset because that is paramount, paramount to building a business. So, Kate, let's let's dive into the topic of personal branding and LinkedIn. Um, and it's fortuitous that that's how I found you. Actually, I think I was I stumbled upon your profile on LinkedIn somehow, <laughs> somewhere. I'm not really sure how that happened, but I found you, and that that's kind of that's how we hope things go, right? We hope people find us in the right places. Yes. Um, and I loved what you said about personal branding. I loved what you say about LinkedIn. I loved your content that you share on the platform. I love everything that's going on there. Um, Thank you. And so that's why, you know, that's why we're having this conversation. Wanted to, to bring you on because I know you've got a LinkedIn training program and this is this is kind of, you know, right up your wheelhouse. Wanted to have you come on and share some of your best advice for our fellow consultants and service providers on really how to make the most of the platform. Sure. Well, first and foremost, from just a paradigm shift standpoint, you know, LinkedIn is set up in a way that has your LinkedIn profile be all about you. I mean, literally to the point where you can upload your resume. And as with any great marketing, it's the recognition that my LinkedIn profile has nothing to do with me and everything to do with empathizing, highlighting, and creating content around my prospects' pain points. So just that in and of itself is, is a game changer. And I think you see this specifically when it comes to headlines in LinkedIn. I was doing a workshop for LinkedIn training and there was a gentleman in the workshop and he had his headline as very commonly what many people have it as like CEO at business solutions, Inc. I'm, I'm using a you know fictitious name, but it was something to that effect. What you're doing when you have a headline like that is creating double work for your prospects because they have no idea what Business Solutions Inc. means. And so what you're subconsciously saying to them is, hey, I'm going to make you go do the research to figure out who I am and what Business Solutions is. So it's it's not acknowledging or creating an easy path for them. And then there's the reality of in the world that we're in, in social media and dings and pings and our limited attention span, nobody is going to take the time to figure out what business solutions means, right? So you want to create a path to clarity. And on LinkedIn and, and really anything in marketing, like clarity beats cleverness and, and it always will, especially on LinkedIn. You're talking about an active pool of people who are scrolling through the feed at warp speed, and they have negative like two seconds to figure out who you are and what you're about. So instead of saying CEO at Business Solutions, I always challenge my students and my clients to just start with what, what would your what should your headline really say as it relates to your prospects? And in his case, it was business valuations expert. He was a guy, he was an accountant that really helped uh, business owners who were thinking about buying, selling businesses do business valuations. So we had this workshop. It was an overnight retreat. He changed his headline to something way clearer, something to the effect of like business valuations expert. And overnight, an, uh, a lawyer, an attorney reached out to him and said, hey, 
I've been looking for a strategic partner to send my clients to for this service. Let's talk. And there you go. He was on LinkedIn active with this headline for years, months, whatever that was. And in a matter of a mere hour from changing his headline to something that was way more uh, acknowledging where the viewer of his profile was standing, he got a lead source right then and there. So it, it's just, it's not about you. And that's the paradigm shift that LinkedIn doesn't set you up to succeed in because, you know, they're kind of treating it like recruiters and job applicants where it should be about you. But when you're a professional service provider, when you're a consultant, it's not, it's all about your clients. And that's first and foremost, I think the biggest indicator of success on the platform is how much do you get that? Yeah, I think uh, listening to your advice, I think I'm 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 guilty of of a similar mistake because when you look at the headline, it's I think people tend to assume that that viewers are reading their headline on their profile page, so they're going to read the whole thing from start to finish. Whereas most people are going to read your headline, like you said, in the feed where it's right. really tiny. And it's usually cut off, like you don't get the whole thing in there. So right. you don't say like right at the outset, like yours, the first word in yours, I believe, is branding expert. So yep. immediately, like it doesn't differentiate you, but that's fine. Immediately, I can put you into a box. Okay, here is a branding person and then LinkedIn strategist. And now I'm putting two and two together, branding and LinkedIn. I kind of now get a sense of like, you know, what your your wheelhouse is. Whereas if you said founder of Ladon marketing and branding. Right. Well, I mean, everyone's the founder of their own company. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's not special. And you know what it does? It it, um, supercharges your content because the thing that is missing, in my opinion, for most content that people are creating on social media is context. Context is like 90% of it. Content is 10% of it. That might not be the exact ratio if I sat down and really thought about it, but people aren't providing the why behind the what. And if you're just looking at your headline, well, there's a fantastic way to assert the why without even needing to say it in the status. So if people are reading one of my statuses and I'm talking about how consultants can prevent people from picking their brains for free, right, which is, I think, a situation all consultants deal with when people are like, hey, I'd love to chat, just like get to know each other, wanted to pick your brain, where you're respectfully saying like, well, you know, I charge for that. Um, all of a sudden, it provides further context of why I'm posting that status if they know that I'm in branding and positioning and LinkedIn versus just, oh, she's posting this and her position as founder at Ladon Branding and Marketing. It just it creates a, a razor sharp edge to that content that makes it click in the, I get it. And then I explain it to my clients and your content is kind of the breadcrumbs that lead back to your profile. So those breadcrumbs, when accompanied by a super clear headline, it's like, oh, I got it. LinkedIn coach, branding expert, and she posts about professional service providers and consultants. That's clearly her, her, who her target demo is. If that's me, I'm going to breadcrumb my way back to her profile. You know, it's funny. Picking your brain, it doesn't even sound appealing. Like, what what a ridiculous expression. I don't want my brain picked. I mean, at least make it sound appealing if you're going to ask me for it. (laughs) Yes. And you know what? And and not to go on a deep dive on that, but it's it's all relevant to professional service providers and consultants, which is who we're in the, um, you know, the market to serve here on this podcast is this is a this is a reality for us and managing that time and not seeming cut off or disinterested in relationship building, but also being protective of your time. A quick tidbit that I will say about this is I started to get so much outreach from LinkedIn was I started scheduling coffee chat hours. I have them for 
um, an hour a week, sometimes a couple hours a week. They're Wednesday mornings and it's first come first serve. And it is in the vein of, okay, let's create a relationship. We can get, you know, a quote unquote virtual cup of coffee. But other than that, like that protected solid time for them, I don't entertain the let's just chat. And not because I don't want to chat with everybody in the world. That's my biggest hope and dream. But it's not pragmatic when you're building a business, especially when you're a solopreneur. So let's talk a little bit about content now, this idea of the breadcrumbs that lead back to your profile and to your business. Everyone's got a different perspective on content on LinkedIn. seems like these days there's the daily text, there's the video. What's, uh, what is your, your recommended content mix? You know, first and foremost, like video is getting major play on LinkedIn. So let's not step over that. But it's, it's really my whole motto for my business is start small brand big, like start simple and, and brand it out. If you're a person who is much better with words, long form text and content on LinkedIn, they still get massive play. And I don't see that as going anywhere. So you can find the right mix that feels comfortable for you. If you're a dynamic speaker, if you have a great voice, um, as I shared with you, I think you have a fantastic voice. Like video is a great, uh, great play. Keep it under two minutes in the LinkedIn feed. If you're, if you're rambling on past that, you're just going to lose people. But more importantly, the, the type of content you're putting out there. When I talk to my students, if you want an easy way to just start creating high value content, whether that takes the form of video or text or picture, here's where to begin. Take the top 10 to 15 questions you get from clients, write them down, and then just provide one to two answers for each. And if you provide two answers for each 15 questions, you have 30 days worth of content. And it's often the things that we overlook as experts in our respective fields. That's somebody who has a more substantial amount of knowledge in a specific trade than somebody else. We often look the things that'll make the small things that'll make the biggest difference for our prospects. So I say this in the sense of I was talking to an accountant last week and he was talking about how he's really struggling to come up with content. And I said, just take a sliver of a topic and start there. For some people, just dissecting how to fill out a tax return is a major feat. Even a section of a tax return, like what to deduct and what not to deduct, is not clear for people that would be hiring you. So don't go into thinking you need to create like you know, Pulitzer-worthy content here, start with the basics. And I think that's the struggle for a lot of us experts is even at our best, we try and dumb it down, but we're at a level of 10 in knowledge and doing what we do every, every day. On our best, best try to meet our prospects where they're at, we're still landing at a five and they're at a two. So like simplify it, simplify it, simplify it. And the gold is really in the things you take for granted or have overstepped because you're just at such a level of saturation and expertise in your business. And to provide one more example there, because I learned best from examples, I was telling him, you know, in, instead of creating a status update about color psychology and how important that is for branding, what I would do in turn is one day I would just pick the color blue. And I would say, blue is symbolic and has a psychological effect of tradition and time, um, you know, it's, it's proven over time, which is why you see banks and insurance companies. In addition, blue is the highest appealing color to both men and women. So if you're looking at branding your company and you want to instill 
trustworthiness and you want to appeal to both sexes, blue is a great color. Now, I could spin off 20 other colors in the color psychology and how it relates to branding, and that's 20 statuses versus the one of color psychology and branding. So it's always like find the simplest common denominator and don't overstep what is the most basic aspect of that because that's often what your prospects are struggling with. Have you by chance read uh, David Baker's book, The Business of Expertise? I have not now, well, although you, it sounds fabulous. You have to read it. I'm having David on the show next month, actually. It's a fantastic book. But the reason I bring it up is, is is David talks about this idea of drop and give me 20. And mm. he, he presents this as a, a test of your positioning, that if your positioning is is strong enough and you're specialized enough, then you should be able to rattle off 15 to 20 unique ideas or perspectives that you can share that demonstrate your expertise and differentiate you from the competition. In other words, if you can't rattle off 20 ideas that are unique to your point of view, then you're not specialized enough or you're not positioned well enough. And I think that's a great that's a great place to start with content. You know, you mentioned make a list of the questions that people ask you. That's a great way to go about it. Another way to go about it is drop and give me 20. Make a list of those 20 unique perspectives that you bring to the work and start talking about those. And each of those, once you open that up, each of those perspectives, if you have 20, is probably, you know, a series of LinkedIn status updates, given that they're short and sweet. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing too. Like I I challenge everybody who has an idea for a status. And I say this to my students every time, try and try and create five out of it. Cause I guarantee you, you're still not narrow enough. Like we always start again with the colors. Like there's one topic in your mind. Oh, color psychology and branding. No, push it further. Can you create 10 out of it? Okay. Now we're really working with something. So, so your advice in a nutshell is to go really, really granular and specific because that's, that gives people something to grab onto. Yes. It's tactical. It's easy to get. You're not trying to explain high level strategy to them. They can implement it tomorrow, which is, you know, super great value for your audience. And selfishly, it gives you room to now have 20 pieces of status, like taking the color theory example. Now there's 20 statuses from color theory that I can dole out over whether it's a month, two months, three months versus just, okay, I'm doing one. And now I have to think of another like Herculean topic to, to try and tackle, like keep it simple. Um, it, it always goes back to simplicity. So let me ask you this. One of the things that I'm I'm starting to do now on LinkedIn, actually today was officially the first day, is I, I launched a daily podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I've been working on. We're about 10 episodes in now at the time of the recording. By the time this releases, we'll be well into it. Uh, daily podcast where I'm just, it's very raw, unfiltered, not like forecast, which is the show that we're on right now. This yes. is my daily monologue. So it's a bit raw, unfiltered, kind of from the trenches marketing advice. So, yes. you know, I'll be on a call with somebody and an idea will dawn upon me. A lesson will, will emerge that I want to share with the audience and I'll go and I'll record that. Or, you know, after we talk, maybe I'll have like a little takeaway that I want to share on my own that I'll do on that podcast. So it's daily and there's a lot of a lot of things that that uh, that I'm sharing there. What I'm going to be doing now, and today was the first day, is I'm going to be sharing that as a as a video, but it's it's audio, right? So it's like a video file that plays the audio with like that sound wave moving, which I'm sure you've seen before. Yes. And uh, and then I put a little post to go with it, and that'll be kind of my daily LinkedIn content play. Did, yes. Could something like that work? What do you think? Definitely, and it's in those moments. Like one of the things I also say to our students is get you know get an app like Evernote. And it's in the conversations and it's in those little moments where you often get that spark of inspiration or great idea. Have a vehicle to capture that. So often we hear something that really resonates with us, whether it's 
in a client meeting, in a podcast, a conversation, in a coffee shop. And we're like, wow, that like, that's, that's something there. And then you, you muse over that for a little bit, or you think about it. But what people often don't do is have that vehicle that allows them to quickly capture their thought on it. So for me, I have Evernote, which is great because it syncs across all my devices real time. I have a little folder in there called LinkedIn statuses. And if I have a really great conversation um, with somebody like, like we're having right now after this podcast, I'll probably go there, write a little bit of tidbits from, from what really stuck out. And then you just spin those into statuses. And in that way you also create a content catalog. So I love what you're saying about that. And it works beautifully because you're giving yourself not only a vehicle to do it, but a vehicle for consistency. And then it becomes habitual and consistency is what really, really plays well on LinkedIn. Like it only matters if you're showing up. Sparse content is not going to win. You need valuable content paired with consistency. So give yourself a practice that feels comfortable and habitual to promote consistency. And that daily tidbit, that that kind of raw uh, podcast you're doing every day is exactly that. It's, it's great for the audience, but more so it's great for you to have that habitual content creation moment. Yeah, no, consistency is is definitely key, and it's and it's a big challenge, and I want to come back to that in a minute. But uh, what I wanted to share with you was uh, that I think one of the one of the common challenges people have here is they just they don't think that they have as much to share as they really do. And, and I love mm. your thinking around this. And and I certainly found that well, the reason I started a daily podcast was because I I felt like I had more to share than I had opportunities to share it. And yeah. I, you know, I could have gone the the LinkedIn just a straight up LinkedIn text route. I like podcasting. I enjoy talking. So I just went the podcast route, but I'm, I'm trying to marry both. But I've definitely found this with my clients is like once we get them into a rhythm and a routine, they tend to complain in the beginning. But, oh, you know, I got to come up with all this content and where's it going to come from. But once they start getting into the routine and they know that on a, on a at least on a weekly basis, if not more, they've got to post something, then the gears start turning. And every time they have a conversation or they have an experience, they come to me and they're like, hey, I got a great content idea. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> That is such a great way to say it. It really is. Like, I think that one of the biggest differences between quote unquote marketers and non-marketers is we're always looking for content moments. Like I look at everything on a day-to-day basis as a content opportunity. It's a little bit sick, isn't it? Like we've got problems, I think. It is. It's so, (laughs) walking through the world as a marketer is such an interesting um, path because not only am I always looking at content opportunities, if I see Facebook ads, I'm like dissecting, right? You're always just looking at billboards, Facebook ads, everything. And you're like, it's that innate curiosity of why is this really working right now? And, or why is this really not working? And, um, and that's, that goes back to the, the thing of the expert, right? Like we forget that that's not everybody's experience in looking at the world. Every people who are non-marketers don't look at the world in the sense of that's a real content opportunity. And in the same way that, if you're an accountant, you know, your prospects aren't walking through the day thinking about how can I, you know, save money and time, but you have that gift and that filter and that life view and that innate skill set. And how can you just break that off and, and give it to people in a simple way? And that's where like the um, ingenuity is often in simplicity. Like don't take for granted your worldview and your filter uh, regardless of what industry or, or expertise lane that happens to take shape. And so for you and I, it's content opportunities for somebody else. It's, I don't know, copywriting or, or coaching or just being able to listen really well. We, we so often take that for granted. And those are the biggest content moments. 
Yeah, normal people go on Facebook to hear from their friends and they try to ignore the ads as much as possible. (laughs) We go on Facebook to ignore our friends and pay attention to which ads are working. I'm mad when I can't find sponsored updates. (laughs) I'm like, damn it, Facebook, you've done it again. Like you've refined the feed so well that I cannot find this. And being the marketer, I'm on the hunt for like great ad copy. So I'm just scrolling all past the new baby pictures and like, where is that ad for Save Honey that had that really great offer? I need to see that again. <laughs> That's hilarious. When, when I go through my save posts on, on Facebook, it's all ads. All ads. None of it all is organic ads. stuff. Yeah, for me, it's like equal parts ads. And then my um, latest obsession is those tasty videos. It's like just 30-second hitters of like just really easy meals to make. And those are my two vices now. Like That's it, Facebook ads and tasty videos. Tasty videos. <laughs> nice, nice. Listen, we uh, we've covered a lot, and I, I have so many other questions for you, but I think I'll I'll try to keep it to one more question, if that's okay. Sure. Um, we talked about content, and and if, I think you've shared some really really useful advice on that front. What about uh, what about expanding your network on LinkedIn? What's your best advice there? Uh, first and foremost, do it. Um, I think that people don't have, again, the habit or the consistent action to just add 10 people a day to your network. The greatest thing about LinkedIn is you can do targeted searches. So you're not haphazardly adding people to it. You can add people to your network with a level of intentionality. And I think that people are, are worried to add people to their network because it may feel salesy or, or uncomfortable, or I don't know what to say, but the power from my standpoint, because what my program really is, is showing people how to attract lead versus attract leads versus going out and needing to quote unquote, sell them. Um, the power for building your network really comes into play when you're looking at the second degree network on LinkedIn, which in my opinion is the biggest value proposition of this platform. Meaning when you're on Facebook and you like somebody's status, not all of your friends see that you liked that status, but on LinkedIn, just by virtue of you liking my status, a good portion of your network sees my status. I get the real estate to your connections by virtue of you liking my status. So when I look into, and I, I feel like I'm getting kind of technical here, so I'm going to try and keep it as simple as I can. When I go into the back end analytics of my post, the ones that quote unquote went viral or like have had a pretty substantial view, say 20,000 or more. It's the power of the second degree network kicking in. It's all of my first degree connections, first degree connections, dissecting my content. And then that's where the leads come from. And that's really where you get to expand and have national clients, international clients in a way that traditional networking does not enable you to. So I'll say this, like, again, start simple. I'm such a fan of simplicity. Every day, add 10 new people to your network, knowing that each of those 10 people, if they have an average of even a thousand connections, now you have 10,000 opportunities to reach prospects versus just the, the 10 that you're adding. So it's incredibly important from a second degree network, even if you're not uh, directly selling those new connections, which I don't advise that people do either. So build it. So you have the exponential reach and that's where you start to see your business take off beyond the geographical barriers that traditional network situations have. Yeah. And and usually when I say last question, I'm lying, but this time I, (laughs) I, I kind of mean it. Uh, but one question I have for you is I think a lot of people are, 
a little bit disheartened when they try posting on LinkedIn and then the engagement is low and they kind of just just kind of give up. Mm-hmm. Um, in your experience, how does how does that how does that engagement come? Is it like a hockey stick? Do you need to just kind of stick with it for a bit or or, you know, what's what's a good length of time to try this for before throwing in the towel? You know, never throw in the towel. <laughs> That's the first thing. Um, the, typically, the question I would encourage people to ask is if your content is not resonating, you're generally not answering the question, why would somebody care to read this? So I see people post content all the time where they're creating just a link to an article and it's like top 10 ways uh, to, I don't know, deduct from your your tax return. Say this is an accountant making a post. I seem to be using that example a lot lately, maybe because there's a few of them in the program right now, but it, no, but that doesn't have any appeal. You're not answering the question, why should you care about these 10 deductions? It's much more powerful if you say, here's 10 deductions that as a business owner, you know, 90% of you are overlooking that could save you over a thousand dollars when it comes to your return read here to learn exactly what they are, number four will likely surprise you. So, you know, it's not really a length of time more than it is. If you're going a couple of weeks and you're just seeing crickets, you're probably not answering the question that is fundamental to creating high value content, which is why does my audience even care about this? And usually that means going into a little bit more detail and doing the legwork for them of why why is this relevant to you? And I'm just going to paint by numbers and show you exactly how and spell it out. Because again, we're all lazy. We're all, um, you know, so we're all, everything is so competitive for our attention. Looking at something that says top 10 deductions for your tax return versus that second example, which really spells out the value proposition for your prospects, the latter is always going to hit. It's going to resonate. So how can you be of value? How can you be of service? Why should the people who are reading this status care about what you're, you're writing? And if you answer that, and if you're truly acting out of servitude, then you're going to find your content resonates. And when it doesn't, I always find that they're not answering that question. Awesome. Kate, this has been a whole lot of fun. We could go on for a lot longer, but I'm sure you've got things to do. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And I want you to let people know where they can look you up if they want to find you online. Yes. So first and foremost, LinkedIn, uh, Kate Ladon. I always love connections there. And then if you are interested in learning how to gain prospects and press, which is a whole nother thing we didn't go into, how to become contributors, how to truly position yourself as a thought leader on LinkedIn, head on over to the influence.academy. That's the influence.academy and you'll get the system we teach our clients for how to do exactly that. Excellent. Kate, thanks again. Thank you. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.